John chapter 12, verse 41, Isaiah saw Christ. Isaiah saw Christ. We'll start at 37 for context. 37 to 43. John 12, 37. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. In order that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, and he hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes, and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said, because he saw his glory, and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees they were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you will sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Give us confidence in your word. Give us full faith to believe it. Give us the conviction to see the things that you have revealed here in your word marvelously, miraculously, to show us that we should have confidence in Christ. May we believe in him. Just as Isaiah did, just as the Apostle John did, may we do so. In Jesus' name, amen. In our passage in John chapter 12, 37 to 43, we have seen that Jesus gave ample testimony. He performed ample miracles in the presence of the people and he spoke very well, the greatest of all teachers. He spoke very well to the people, the crowds, but very few of them believed. They refused to believe and it is on them. They are guilty for not believing. And this unbelief of the people is not new because Isaiah the prophet experienced this unbelief in his own generation 700 years before the time of the incarnation of Christ and the time of the apostles. Isaiah experienced it in his own generation and he predicted that this would happen in a future generation in the generation of the incarnation, the first coming of Jesus Christ. That's why he quotes in verse 38 from Isaiah 53, verse 1. Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah 53 is about the coming of Christ and what would happen when he came. And Isaiah saw it, he foresaw it, he predicted or prophesied that very fact that few people would believe in Christ when Jesus was personally on the earth preaching, performing miracles, dying and rising again, few people compared to the many who heard and saw him. And then in 39 to 40, the Apostle John reminds us that Isaiah predicted that God would blind and harden the people. God would be the ultimate and supreme source of their unbelief so that the will of man is culpable and guilty for its own sin, but also God ordains 
actively ordains the blindness and the hardening of unbelievers. And these two coincide, the two are harmonious, the two go together in Scripture. Having said that, he brings attention to the reaction of the people in verses 41 to 43. Isaiah is said to have seen the glory of Christ, and Isaiah is said to have spoken of Christ. Clearly, Isaiah saw the glory of Christ, and Isaiah spoke of Christ. The apostle here is telling us that Isaiah clearly explained all of this in his book, the prophet Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. 700 years before the coming of Christ. He did so. And as it happened in Isaiah's generation, so it happened in the generation of Christ, in the generation of the apostles after the ascension of Christ, and so too in our generation, there will be people who are preached or who are taught the clear explanation of the gospel of Christ and yet they refuse to believe. They're taught Christ explicitly, openly, plainly taught about Christ, and yet they will refuse to believe. Next time we will see that the rulers, or the Pharisees in verse 42 to 43, they know that what is being said of Christ is true, but they don't have the faith, faith unto salvation, to believe it for the salvation of their souls. Verses 42 to 43 explain that fact. They believe the fact of Christ, but they don't believe in what he came to accomplish on their behalf. They don't believe in that for the salvation of their souls. This is the tragedy of what happens when we preach the truth of Christ. Next time we will see the wrong reaction. But for now, today, we will see in verse 41 this explicit statement. When we use the New American Standard Bible, it helpfully puts in English a capital letter for the pronouns used. A capital letter for pronouns used whenever the pronoun refers to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whenever the pronoun he or his is used or you, your is used, whenever the pronouns are used in English in reference to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, any one of them or all of them, when the pronouns are used that way, the New American Standard Bible capitalizes for us. And as far as I have discerned and read, they have not done wrong with any of their capitalizations, as far as I know. There might be an exception that I have not come across yet. That's noteworthy. Why? Because it is helpful to us when we read the Bible to understand the pronouns. Sometimes if we're not reading the Bible carefully, following the pronouns, the he, the his, the him, the them, some of these sometimes become unclear to us and we have to read very carefully, very slowly to figure that out. 
Helpfully, though, the NASB translation uses capitalization to help us know when the prophet is the he or if God is the he. Whether the prophet is the him or God is the him. Whether the prophet is the his or the person, somebody else, is the his or God is the his. You understand? So pay attention to those. Not only here in in John 12.41 do we see it, but we will see it when we take a journey through the book of Isaiah. Notice there. Now, having said that the NASB does so, the NASB in some places fails to do so. In some places, the NASB fails to capitalize pronouns when they should have capitalized the pronouns. Because in many cases, you will see, such as a few that we'll see in Isaiah, where it should be that way, obviously no one doubts that that passage is about Christ. They don't doubt it, but for whatever reason, it missed the editorial eye and pen of the editor, and he failed to do it in that particular place or two or or more. Okay? We will see that. So don't let that disturb you or alarm you. We will see the clear references to Christ in Isaiah. Furthermore, before we take our journey in Isaiah, in verse 41, it says, These things Isaiah said, and by Isaiah he means Isaiah the prophet, as he quoted him and mentioned him in verse 38, Isaiah the prophet, which is from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. That's one. Another thing to note is he said these things because he saw his glory. Because he saw his glory. John the Apostle says, he, Isaiah, saw the glory of whom? The glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. Isaiah saw Jesus' glory And he, Isaiah, spoke of him, Jesus. Isaiah saw the glory of Christ, and Isaiah spoke of Christ. That is what he means here. Explicitly, he's saying that. Even if we just stick with the pronouns, it has to mean that in this context. There is no other way to take John the Apostle. The NASB helps us with capitalization of his and him. But also, there are a handful of translations. There are a handful of Bible translations in English that actually put the name Jesus here. Though it's not there in the original language of the Greek language, they do put it in the English translation to avoid confusion. They do it to make sure we are not confused. For example, they will say something like this. These things Isaiah said because he saw Jesus' glory. Because he saw Jesus' glory or the glory of Jesus and he spoke of him. They add the name Jesus there in the translation. They're not wrong in terms of the meaning They're just adding the word for clarification, the name Jesus, in order for us to make sure we understand. John saying, Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus Christ. 
That is very clear. That assertion by the Apostle John is very clear. Now, if that's the case, then John's actually teaching that Isaiah, in many places, two of the places are cited right here, in verse 38, Isaiah 53, 1, and in verse 40, it's Isaiah 6, 10. We will see in our journey of Isaiah how these passages relate to Christ. We will see so. He's explaining here that the glory of Christ was seen by Isaiah. And Isaiah preached the coming of Christ into the world. He preached Christ's identity as God coming in human flesh and his ministry, that he would perform miracles, that he would be righteous, he would be perfect, he would die on the cross, he would rise from the dead. He would be the eternal judge, the judge of heaven and earth, so on. All of these aspects of the ministry of Christ, Isaiah preached because God revealed these truths to Isaiah. This should confirm our faith that without a doubt, the, the book of Isaiah was written hundreds of years before the coming of Christ and his apostles. Therefore, these predictions, these prophecies are miraculous prophecies coming from only God because all of these passages we see in Isaiah could only and were only fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Could only be fulfilled and were only fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Nobody else. Not you, not me, not anybody else who claims to be Christ or Messiah or a Savior. No one else. Only Him. Having said that, Let's now undertake our study of Isaiah to see why John the Apostle would say what he said. The first example we take from Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah 4, we'll read verses 2 to 3. Isaiah 4, 2 to 3. In that day... The branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. And it will come about that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded for life in Jerusalem. The New American Standard Bible helpfully capitalizes the bee of branch meaning that this branch is Christ. In that day, when the prophets speak of that day, it is known both by the Jews before the coming of Christ and after the coming of Christ that that day or the last days refers to the days of Christ between his first and second comings. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, in the Son of God, in the last days. So, it says here that he's the branch of the Lord. This is one of the names, many names, of Christ. He's called the branch of the Lord. He is the branch of the Father. 
because the Father extends and sends him into the world. He is a branch. And because of him, there will be salvation. We will be recorded for life. We who are the remnant, those who remain, those who survive, we are the ones recorded for life. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 1. Isaiah 6, we read verses 1 to 13, the full chapter. 6.1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and repent and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it, and it will again be subject to burning, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. In verse 1, the prophet says he saw the Lord. Look at the spelling, English spelling of it. It's got a capital L, but the rest of the word is not capitalized. This means that the original language has the Hebrew word Adonai. He says, I saw the Lord, or I saw Adonai. And he sees a vision of Adonai, the Lord, in the temple. And this Lord is deity because NASB also confirms it with the train of his robe, capital H for his robe, filling the temple. The angels, this, this uh, sort of angel, the seraphim, meaning burning ones, they're like flames. They, they, they appear as flames or are on fire, something of that. These seraphim, that's what seraph means, to, to burn. They are crying out what? When they see the Lord. 
When the angels are there, the seraphim are there around the Lord that he sees in verse 1, what do they cry out in verse 3? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The angels are calling the Lord of verse 1, the Lord of hosts, and the word Lord in verse 3 is capitalized fully, right? That is the word Yahweh. Yahweh is capitalized, so Adonai is the same as Yahweh in verse 3. And they call him Lord of hosts, armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. That little phrase, his glory, is in John 12, 41. It says, he saw his glory, meaning Isaiah saw his glory. Isaiah saw whose glory? The glory of Christ. That little phrase, his glory, from Isaiah 6, 3 in John 12, 41. Furthermore, when Isaiah sees the trembling and the smoke, he understands that this is ominous, this is threatening, this is fearful, frightening, and it reminds him of his sin. When God reveals himself that way, it reminds us of our sin. So he repents. He understands how evil he is, how wicked he is, and he is ruined. He's a, a man of unclean lips, and he lives among a people of unclean lips. And why? Why does he compare himself? Because he compares himself, himself to the Holy God. Verse 5. He is undone or ruined because he says, For, because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's saying in his own words, My eyes have seen the King. Verse 1, I saw the Lord. Verse 5, my eyes have seen. John 12, 41, he saw his glory. He saw his glory. And he says here in verse 5, the King, the Lord of hosts, which means the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has all of the angels at his disposal, he is the one that Isaiah saw. Correct? We continue. He is forgiven in verses 6 to 7, and then he's commissioned in verses 8 to 13. Notice in the commission, verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord, this is the Lord Adonai, saying, Whom shall I send? Adonai says, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Who is the us of verse 8? If the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking, whom shall I send and who will go for us? The us has to be Father and Spirit coexisting while he's speaking. Right? They have to be coexisting as persons in the Trinity as he's speaking. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? The us is not a reference to the angels because the angels are not consulted, the angels are commissioned to help us. Hebrews 1.14 says, are they, angels, are they not ministering spirits 
sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. The us is not a reference to the angels of verse 2. The us is a reference to the Father and the Spirit. We have this interpretation. It is not a new and novel interpretation by the preacher. Notice the NASB capitalizes the U of us, which means the translators of the NASB century, or decades ago in the 70s, they believed that the us refers to the Father and the Spirit. They themselves, the many translators, believe that. That's why it is retained in this edition of the English Bible, the New American Standard Bible. Furthermore, verses 9 and 10. Remember, we said that in, Isaiah, uh, in John 12, 40, he quotes Isaiah 6, 10. He's quoting right there in verse 10. 9 and 10 go together in terms of God telling Isaiah, go and preach, but this is what the circumstance will be. This is what your predicament will be, that you're going to preach, but the people are not going to listen. They're not going to listen because... Hearts are insensitive, ears dull, eyes are dim. But Isaiah wants to know, Lord, how long? How long is this going to happen? And God answers him, notice in verse 11, Lord, how long? Adonai, how long? And then Adonai answers, verse 11, He answered, capital H, He answered. Until there is utter Devastation, correct? And then Adonai also says, verse 12, the, the Lord has removed men far away. So this means not only is Christ called Adonai in verse 1, he's called the Lord or Yahweh in verse 3, he's called Yahweh in verse 5, but also here, the Father is called the Lord in verse 12, because in verse 11, Christ is still speaking and answering the prophet. How, Lord, how long? And then the Lord Jesus answers until cities are devastated and without inhabitant. So there's going to be widespread desolation, unbelief, and punishment for their unbelief in the land. Then verse 13, yet there will be a tenth portion in it. The holy seed is its stump. This refers to the remnant. The remnant will believe, but not the vast majority. And the remnant are compared to a percentage. They're called a tenth portion. So a tenth of a hundred percent. One out of ten, he's saying. One out of ten will believe but the rest of them will be destroyed because of their unbelief. That's the same that happened in the days of Christ during his ministry in John 12. Same kind of issue. Okay, what about Isaiah 7? Isaiah 7, verse 14. 7, 14. This passage is quoted in Matthew 1, 
23. Matthew 1, 23. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah says that the Lord's sign, the Lord's miracle to not only the evil king Ahaz here, but to all who want to know and who have the unbelief of Ahaz, you want to have proof? You will have proof. A virgin will be with child, which is not the usual. That doesn't happen in the world. Virgins don't bear children, but she will bear a child. She will bear a son. And the son will be called Emmanuel. What's Isaiah predicting? Not only the virgin birth of Christ, but he's predicting in verse 14 that Christ will be God with us. Emmanuel, the name means God with us. El means God. Emmanu, with us. So God with us. God in human flesh. Isaiah preached this, that deity, the divine nature, would be in human nature. The two would be together in one person. And that one person would be this son who was born. This one person would be called Emmanuel, God in human flesh. Chapter 9, Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This passage, starting actually in verse 1, 1 to 7, refers to Christ. We know that the first couple of verses are quoted by Matthew in Matthew 4, 15 and 16. Matthew 4, 15 and 16, Matthew the Apostle tells us that Jesus came preaching in Galilee as Isaiah predicted. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, he predicts that Christ, the light, will go be preaching in Galilee of the Gentiles. The Gentiles will be inhabiting that part of Israel and Jesus would preach in that part of Israel. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. It continues to describe Christ and we pick it up in verses 6 and 7. Who is this child-born son given? Everyone knows this passage, right? It's a popular passage. Who is he? He's the one who has the government on his shoulders. What government does he have on his shoulders? Certainly, he has rulership over the world, but it's talking about also an eternal kingdom, an eternal government. 
as it's mentioned in verse 7. No end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David. That's why he's called the son of David. He's going to establish and uphold justice and righteousness from then on and how long? Forevermore. Which is not true of any temporary king. Any temporary king of Judah, but forevermore. And his names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. These are the names by which he will be called, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. We're speaking of the Son of God in verses 6 and 7, and the Father will accomplish it. The zeal of the Father will accomplish this for his Son. That's how it will happen. That means Isaiah is also here preaching the Father and the Son. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11. This is one of those passages that should have some more capitalization. You'll see what I mean. Verse 1. Isaiah 11, verse 1. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and will decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. We see clearly in verses 1 to 5 that this is Christ. The NASB starts to capitalize the pronouns in reference to Christ from verse 2. In verses 2 to 5, you see that they capitalize he and him. Correct? And his. They capitalize those pronouns because they know this is about Christ. Where they failed to capitalize was in verse 1. They should have capitalized the word shoot, stem, and branch. Shoot, stem, and branch. Remember in chapter 4, verse 2, the branch of the Lord, they did capitalize. So here, I think it's just an oversight. They should have done so here. They do so in verses 2 to 5. They just failed in verse 1. Shoot, stem, and branch. This stem of Jesse, it's another way of referring to David because David's father was Jesse. And as the prophets do, they are very poetic prophets. They, they have a way with words. They know how to use synonyms and various ways of speaking to convey the truth. So here, the stem of Jesse is just like saying the son of David or the branch of David, the root of David, something like that. Jesse is the father of David. For that, consult 1 Samuel chapter 16, where that is mentioned. 
Further, if we're in chapter 11, chapter 11, verse 10. 10, 11, 10. Then it will come about in that day that the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. His resting place, the H of his, capitalized because it refers to Christ. And therefore also root should be capital. Capital R for root of Jesse. Now, let's go to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah 28, 16. 28, 16. This verse, for your information, for cross-references, this verse is quoted in Romans 9, 33, 10, 11, and 1 Peter 2, 6. Romans 9, 33, 10, 11, and 1 Peter 2, 6. The apostles interpreted this as Christ, this verse as referring to, to Christ. Isaiah 28:16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be put to shame or disturbed. The Lord God says he is laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be put to shame. This is Christ. Even though these words are not capitalized, they should be, this is Christ. It has to be Christ because it's calling for faith in the stone. The stone, you you never put faith in a stone If we're talking metaphor and illustration, you put faith in a person. And the person has to be Christ, who's described like a stone. Just like he's a door, he's a shepherd, he's a rock. He he is here called a stone, a cornerstone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation of the church. That's a reference to Christ. Okay, let's keep going. Isaiah chapter Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35 verse 5. I speak Isaiah speaks of a day such as this. Isaiah 35 5. 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb or mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. Here, Isaiah predicts that miracles will happen to the blind, to the deaf, and to the lame, that it will happen to them. And that's why Matthew, in Matthew eleven five, 5, by the lips of Christ, quotes this. 
Matthew 11.5, he quotes this. He actually quotes part of this. And also in John 9, 6 and 7, we know in John 9, that's when the blind man was healed. This passage fulfilled in those days. Another one, Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42. 42 verses 1 to 4. Isaiah 42, 1 to 4. This is cited by Matthew in Matthew 12, 18 to 21. Matthew 12, 18 to 21 quotes this passage, Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. We have capitalization throughout here, correct? So who is the servant? Who is speaking and who is the servant? The father is speaking and the servant is Christ. In verse 1, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I, I the father, have put my spirit upon him, the son. This is one of the verses of the Old Testament that has the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all together coexisting at one time in one verse. I have put my spirit upon him. Father, in this case, the order because of the phraseology is Father, Spirit, Son. Here we have the Trinity in one verse. This is Isaiah predicting the kind of ministry that Christ would perform as Matthew uses it in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 to 21. Let's continue. Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45, 22 to 23. Isaiah 45, 22 to 23. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. Who is this? Who is speaking? Verse 22, calling on all the nations of the earth to turn to him, to repent. I am God and there is no other. God is speaking, correct? And God says in verse 23, every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance to me, to God. Well, according to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Philippians 2, 5 to 11, especially in verses 9 to 11. 
There we are told that Christ is the one who will have every knee bow to him. Every knee will bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So everyone will bow the knee to Christ, it says. And Isaiah is saying, Christ is saying through Isaiah, every knee will bow to me. That's why I call the ends of the earth to repent and believe in me. Because you will be held accountable since you have to be held accountable on that day to me. Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48, 12 to 16. Isaiah 48, 12 to 16. Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Now, who is speaking here? We can safely assume, safely conclude even, that it is God speaking, right? But we have to ask, is it the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit who is speaking? And saying, I am He, I am the first, I am also the last. Let's continue to read. Surely my hand founded the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand together. Assemble all of you and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall carry out his good pleasure on Babylon and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Indeed, I have called him. I have brought him and he will make his ways successful. Come near to me. Listen to this. From the first, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it took place, I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. The Lord God has sent me and his spirit. We have Father, Son, Holy Spirit right here. The Lord God is the one sending Christ, me, and the Lord God, the Father, sends His Spirit. The Father, the Son, and Spirit, in that order right here. The speaker from verse 12 was the Son. The Son was the speaker. And the Son called Himself, I am He. We find that phrase, Jesus uses that of Himself in John 8.24 and 8.28. I am He. 8.24 and 8.28. Jesus uses the phrase, I am the first, I am the last, in John 1, or Revelation 1, Revelation 1, 17 and 18. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. And when I saw him, John saw Christ, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Christ was dead and now lives. He is the first and he is the last. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah 50. 
Isaiah 50, verses 4. We'll read from verses 4 to 8. Isaiah 50, verses 4 to 8. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to stain the weary one with the word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Uh, Verse 9, also, Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. Who is speaking here? And who is speaking of his own sufferings and his own vindication after suffering? It's Christ. It has to be Christ. The NASB capitalizes the pronouns of Christ speaking and saying, The Father, the Lord God, has given me the tongue of disciples in verse 4. In verse 6, Christ describes some of his sufferings. I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Is that not what they did to him? Yes. Matthew 26, 67. Matthew 27, 30. Mark 15, 19, Luke 22, 63. One more time. Matthew 26, 67, 27, 30. Mark 15, 19, Luke 22, 63. In those places we read of those kinds of persecutions against Christ before they crucified him. It's a prediction of that very event. Then, in chapter 53, we read that earlier in our service, Isaiah chapter 53. If there is one place that is an easy place to go, it is Isaiah chapter 53. There is no way, it's inescapable for us to read this chapter and to deny that it's describing Jesus Christ. It's not describing Isaiah the prophet. It's not describing the remnant in Israel. It's not describing Hezekiah. It's not describing Josiah. It's not describing Jeremiah. It's not describing anybody else. I mentioned those other names. Why? Because the critics and skeptics, the unbelievers of the, uh, of, in Scripture, the liberals, the dispensationalists, whoever, anybody who doesn't believe Isaiah 53 is about Christ, and all those people deny that it's about Christ. That Isaiah wrote of Christ, believed in Christ, and preached Christ. All of those I just listed deny that. But you can't deny it. Any reading of the passage makes it very clear it's about Christ. We know it's about Christ from 53 verse 1 because John the Apostle quoted it 
Remember, John the Apostle quoted 53.1 in John 12.38. In John 12.38. That not only would there be few, un, uh, few believers in the time of Christ, but that Jesus would be suffering for our sins. The rest of the chapter makes that very clear and plain. What about Christ as a judge? What about Christ as a judge? Isaiah 63. Actually, uh, before that, before that, one more, Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, verse 1. Isaiah 61, 1. We are confirmed that this is about Christ because of Luke 4, 18 and 19. Luke 4, 18 and 19 quotes this passage. Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. This is clearly about Christ because Luke cites it as referring to Christ. It's actually Jesus quoting this or reading this and Luke recording it in Luke 4, 18 and 19. And it is therefore of Christ. The editors should have capitalized the pronouns here, the me of verse one. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Christ. The spirit of the Father is upon me, Christ. He's preaching that, that he came to preach the gospel to those who are afflicted and poor in the spiritual sense. And then lastly, Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. 63, 1 to 6. 63, 1 to 6. Who is this? Who is this? Even Isaiah says, who is this? Isaiah 63, 1. Who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors from Basra? This one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the wine trough alone and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments and I stained all my raiment for the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption has come and I looked and there was no one to help and I was astonished and there was no one to uphold so my own arm brought salvation to me and my wrath upheld me and I trod down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk in my wrath. And I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Who is this one 
that Isaiah the prophet sees executing vengeance on the wicked and executing it in such a way that there is blood all over him. Because Isaiah asked him, why is your apparel red? Why, is, why are your garments red? Why are you full of red spots all over? And the answer is, I just got finished destroying all the wicked and splattering their blood. And when I destroyed them, their blood splattered on me. Just like those who are treading grapes have the juice of the grapes splattering over their clothes while they are treading on grapes to make grapes into wine or grape juice, right? Why is that? It, and that, so we have to ask, who is this? Who is this? Revelation 6. Revelation 6. Revelation 6, 16. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? The presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The Lamb of God, that's Christ, has wrath. He will have vengeance or take vengeance in this way. Revelation 19. Revelation 19, 15. Revelation 19, 15. We'll read 19, 15 to 21. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, who is the he. Verse 13 calls him the word of God. Verse 16 further explains who he is. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the Lord Jesus. Revelation nineteen sixteen. Now, 17, the blood. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, To all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, in order that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. That is Christ, was on the horse, and the army of Christ were the angels in the earlier passage. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. So widespread destruction and blood shed. Who's doing it? It's Jesus Christ. Isaiah saw it and Revelation 19 describes it. So, Isaiah saw 
Christ. We should preach Christ just as Isaiah preached Christ, just as Christ preached himself, just as the apostles preached him. We ought to preach Christ as he truly is, even if only a few people believe in him. Let's be faithful to preach Christ. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.